Welcome everyone to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, your host, Tom Dillon. This has been recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. Today's topic is, oh my God, more planning reforms with the lovely Linda Wright. Um, before we start, I'd just like to say by way of a disclaimer that today is a wonderful discussion, but that nothing said here constitutes financial advice. You should always take professional advice before investing your hard-earned cash. There may be the odd unplanned swear word along the way as well. The format for today is that Linda will speak for us for a little while, and then we'll be taking questions from the floor. So get those ready. Um, in terms of uh, Linda and what she's been up to... Uh, Linda is an independent consultant and planning strategist, public speaker, broadcaster, trainer, and writer, and obtains planning permission for property developers and investors across England and Wales. She's enjoyed a varied and successful career in planning in both the public and private sectors, with the result that she has uh, usually seen most planning problems before um, before you have. She is a, truly a gamekeeper turned poacher. Linda's presenting style is both informative and entertaining. She says, let's face it, the English planning system can be a minefield, so we have to inject a little humour and common sense to make it tolerable. Uh, hello, Linda. Hello. How are we all? Good morning. Good morning. This, good morning. Is, this is way too early for me on a Saturday morning, darlings. <laughs> I'm normally in bed with James Martin at this point on a Saturday morning. Yes, aren't we all? It's... Um... <laughs> It's, it, it is ridiculous. I keep thinking about changing it. The only good news about starting the series, I'm sure you've already worked out, uh, apart from those things of the podcast, lazy sods, is that um, uh, is that uh, you're done by half ten. So you know, with some runny egg and some toasty soldiers, you can then get crack on with your day. But uh, but thank you for being here. It's such an ungodly hour. No, you're you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And hello to everybody whose mad fools are sitting here listening to this. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> Let's talk about oh my god more planning reforms. And I was just I was just talking to Tom earlier, um, and I do wonder whether some of this stuff, this the new reforms, just sort of people think oh god what is she talking about now, and whether I I should just do like Delia Smith did for those of you that remember Delia Smith and just go back to basics and teach people how to boil a planning egg. Um, and so I think for my future um, webinars, podcasts and what have you, I think I might just do that um, because some of these planning reforms, they're quite complicated. For, for those of you who are veteran um, property developers, you'll think, oh, yeah, 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 we know that. We've seen all of that before. That's uh, fair enough. Um, so that's what I might do. But for now, this is, oh, my God, more planning reforms. And there are more on the way. We are not finished. So the company that I run at the moment and have been doing so for 13 years is Planet Right. See what I did there? The only name, the only thing I got from the divorce from the ex-husband, Mr. Right, who turned out not to be, was his name. So I thought I'd use it and try and make some money off it. What I'm also doing is I've opened up a company called Katana Planning. A Katana is a Japanese samurai sword. Uh, and I thought this was quite good, good because it cuts through all the planning bullshit. Can we say bullshit on this podcast? It cuts through all of the planning red tape. You might want to edit the bullshit bit out. Okay. Um, so Katana planning cuts through all the planning red tape. Katana is going to be a much more sleek and streamlined, no VAT registration, and it's going to be purely for uh, planning applications, helping clients get planning permission and um, training because I'm doing a lot of training of, of various groups of people now. So that's me. Now, before we go any further, and this is one of the things that are basics, you, you need to know about this. If you don't already know about this, you need to know about this. In September 2020, and I can't believe it's nearly two years ago now, it seems like just yesterday, the uh, central government changed the use classes order. The use classes order had not been changed since night properly. It had been nibbled at here and there. Not been changed properly since 1987. And what was done, the big thing that was done that matters to all smaller property developers and investors is class E was created. Class E is commercial business and service class. And it's brand new. And it throws... All of those uses that you can see there, shops, financial, cafes, business and office uses and some research labs and things like that, clinics and gyms. It throws all of those uses into one use class, class E. Now, 
people say, oh, well, that means you've got permitted development. No, no, no. There's, it's not permitted development. It's it just not none of these classes, because they're all in one use class E. Moving between them does not require planning permission. It isn't development. So it's all you can just go ahead and do it. So, for example, if you as a landlord own a shop and uh, I don't know, it, did we still have tobacconists? It's a news agent. And the chap who's renting the shop says, oh, I'm, I'm finishing, I'm retiring. And so you think, well, I've got an empty shop. Someone comes along and says, well, I'd like to use it as a cafe. And you think, all right, on, under our current circumstances, we'll see how that goes. So do I need planning permission? No, you don't. You can just move in. OK, the cafe goes bump after six months and you think, oh, I'm left with a, a unit again. Someone comes along and says, I want to use it as a yoga studio. Do I need planning permission? No, you don't. You can just go in. So do you see what I mean? All of these things can just be used. This was in an attempt to increase and help the vitality, mainly of um, shopping frontages, town centres. Doesn't have to be town centre, but it was to try and keep them uh, from the units from being you know, a whole row of empty units. So that is class E. This is important to know about class E for the future um, reforms and changes. Now, there's class F1. I haven't got time to talk about that. It's nothing to do with Lewis Hamilton. Class F2 is local community and sui generis. <clears throat> now, that's how you spell it. I've seen it spelled so many different ways. Uh, sui generis is, is, is Latin, and I'm going to show my age. It means of its own kind. So that in the use classes order, there's a sui generis class. You cannot move from one sui generis part to another without planning permission. It all needs planning permission. And what has happened is class A4 pubs and wine bars and things and class A5 hot food takeaways have all been thrown into sui generis. I'm trying to look at the, my clocks up there. I'm trying to look at the time. Um a4 and what was A5. So hot food. Now, there's an exception to hot food takeaways, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So there's no permitted development to move between any of those uses, all needs planning permission. So that's sui generis. Now, what I want to talk to you about is this so-called permitted development rights. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing. There is no such thing. All of these things that say, oh, well, it's permitted development rights. The government were wrong, in my opinion, in even putting permitted development rights anywhere near these what are prior approval requirements. You have to get a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about in a minute are that you have to get the prior approval of the council before you do anything. Now, I had someone in Liverpool who shall remain nameless came to me and he had a uh, a big building that um, he bought 20, actually, no, I think it was more like 40 students in there because it had all been converted and he bought it, got uh, lending on it and everything. I'm not quite sure how he did that, but we'll, we'll see. And everybody said, oh, yeah, it's permitted development. Well, he got an enforcement officer knocking on the door saying... Um, you needed prior approval for this. And he said, well, he came to me in tears because the lenders were wanting something like 400 grand back. Um, and which in the grand scheme of things is probably quite cheap. Um, but he said, well, can you get me, get me permission? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, because it does what it says on the tin. You have to get the prior approval of the council. And he went, yeah. And I said, no, you've already done it. So there is there is a question on the form that says, has work started? If you put a tick in the box that says yes, <clears throat> it, you can't do it. So prior approval, you have to get the prior, the permission and approval of the council prior to starting any work. So you need to bear that in mind. But I, this is my opinion of prior approval. I know lots of other people have other opinions. I don't care. This is mine. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's prior approval. Now, there are lots of things that I people will say, oh, well, there's loads of permitted developments. Yes, I know that. And one of these that lots of property investors and developers do are HMOs. 
I, I'm not a big fan of HMOs and I will not be doing work on HMOs going forward into the new company. So under the general permitted development order, now, when I talk about classes here, it's not the use classes order. I'm now talking about the general permitted development order, which I think now is up to nearly 200 pages, but you, you need to know about that document. So class L under the GPDO, General Permitted Development Order, uh, allows the conversion of a single dwelling house to an HMO, a house in multiple occupation. That is three to six unrelated people sharing facilities. Now, HMOs have, have, have grown like Topsy now, and they're, they're a very different animal to what is intended in the planning legislation. But the planning legislation doesn't run with trends. Um, as is evidence, the service accommodation issue doesn't run with trends. So, and lots of these don't really have sharing facilities. They have all have en suites. Some of these HMOs have kitchenettes, and they're really studio flats rather than a proper HMO as defined by the planning legislation. So, you can convert a single dwelling house to a small HMO without requiring planning permission. You cannot do this in Wales. The Welsh Assembly Government have not allowed permitted development rights. This is a nationally conferred permitted development right. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of councils don't like it. One of which is Manchester. Manchester have removed permitted development rights with an Article 4 direction council-wide. So you need to get planning permission. And it's about the number of residents, not the number of rooms. <clears throat> so Article 4 directions. Usually an Article 4 direction will be put in place by a council where they want to restrict the number of HMOs because they've got an over-intensification in an area or they've got a saturation uh, in an area. You have to submit an application if there is an Article 4 direction. Once you submit an application, there's other restrictive planning policies that will kick in and you will have to abide by. And also, when an application is submitted, neighbours are consulted. So if you get neighbour objections, they have to be taken into account as well. There should be no council fee, but as of 2018, there was a discretionary thing put in that says councils can charge fees. So you know if they can, they probably will. Right, an Article 4 direction, there can be more than one and they can cover several different areas. Now, as I said before, it is about the number of tenants, not the number of rooms. So if you have a guy who's in one of your rooms, goes out clubbing one night, gets lucky, brings the woman home and she ends up moving in with him because it's a, one of the bigger rooms. So you've now got seven tenants in your property. You need planning permission. And finally, do not, with HMOs, do not confuse planning with licensing. Just because you've got a license, which will probably come from either environmental health or the housing department, just because you've got a, an HMO license from a council, don't think that because that council has granted that license, they're going to automatically grant you planning permission. It don't work like that. They don't talk to each other. And... It's two entirely different sets of legislation. So whilst you might comply with the licensing requirements, you may not comply with planning and vice versa. Service departments. Not many people come to me with service departments because they just go ahead and do it. Because, the, again, as I said with planning, um, it doesn't follow trends. The service accommodation, the, the I'm going to call it the Airbnb phenomenon, has has grown exponentially in the last several years and it, it, it's massive it's causing a lot of problems in London I understand the rumor is and the, and the talk around the leveling up and urban regeneration uh and regeneration bill is that there is going to be a requirement it's not confirmed yet there's going to be a requirement to have a register of service departments um or service accommodation like there is a register for HMOs so Obviously, um, central government are looking to control this a bit more. It's a big problem in the Greater London uh, and the, the closer London authorities, because as soon as you have a service department, you have taken a dwelling house off the market. It's no longer available for someone to live in there. And in, in, in the uh, certain London authorities, that is a big problem. Um, so 
what is the, the reason that people tend not to apply for planning permission is because they take a house and they rent it out as a house to either a person, a family, um, and they rent it out on a weekly basis or a fortnightly basis because it's in a nice area. Um, I've just done um, a YouTube video on this. So for more detail, have a look at Linda Wright Planning Pundit on serviced, uh, uh, on YouTube, and it, it goes through serviced accommodation in, in a lot more detail, about 25 minutes. So it's either gonna be, and it depends on the interpretation of the council. Class C3, residential, easy, not a problem. Class C1, hotel. If you've got a lot more people and you're renting this out room by room, then it's probably gonna fall into the class of hotel. But to be perfectly honest, most councils won't know about these things less than until somebody complains. Or is it gonna be sui generis, which is what we talked about earlier? Is it gonna be a bit of a an animal, a hybrid? Is it residential? Is it hotel? And it, the council just go, eh, we don't know. We'll put it in sui generis. Now, a lot of people have done service accommodation simply to get around HMR planning restrictions. And certainly in Manchester, Oxford, Southampton, Worcester of all places, there are all sorts of um, problems with that. So if you're doing it simply to get around the HMR restrictions, just be careful with that. Non-planning issues, if there are leasehold flats, people come to me, there have been legal caveats that say you can't use it other than for residential purposes. Mortgages, you have to tell, if you've got a lender, you have to tell your lender it's going to be a holiday letter mortgage. It, there's much more risk for the lender with this, and there will be stricter criteria. Insurance, you have to get the correct insurance to cover this because there are some people out there who will use service accommodation and they will leave it in a despicable state afterwards. Neighbours, if you've got people bumping up and down with little wheelie staircases in a block of flats, for example, there could be disturbance and you could get an enforcement notice. So just be aware of that, that service accommodation stuff. <clears throat> Upward extensions, I thought I'd um, talk about this very briefly. Um, Upward extensions, what are called air rights um, in America, came in on the 1st of August, 2020. Again, doesn't just seems like yesterday. You can put... On, right, okay, very specific. There are lots of criteria in these things. So you, you have to look at the fine print or you have to get your architect, your planning agent, whoever you're going to use, you have to look at this carefully. There are a lot of restrictions. So you can add new dwelling houses. For that read flats, you can put houses, I suppose, on top. It look a bit weird. It depends on the design. Um, new dwelling houses on detached blocks of flats. So if you have, it's part 20 of the GPDO. If you have a detached block of flats, you can add up to two stories on top of that. Now, it's going to be subject to all sorts of things. Um, uh, design and appearance is just one of them. So it's got to be well designed. Now, I quite like some of these. The, um, on, on my slides, if you're looking at slides, there is a particular carbuncle in Liverpool, which is the top left slide on the back of the Stanley Shankly Hotel. Awful. Uh, but some of these things can be really well done. They're successful and they get approval. <clears throat> So that's upward extensions, air rights. We didn't think it was going to happen. It has happened. It's been in now since August 2020. One and two story extensions. Now, again, this came in in 2020. There are two parts to this. One part is the enlargement of a dwelling house. So you can put additional stories on top of if you have, I don't know, you live on an estate that was designed by Taylor Wimpy, Persimmon, Barrett, you know, any one of the volume house builders. And, you you know, it's a housing estate of two and, and, and two and a half storey houses. You can apply under the prior approval system to add two storeys, one or two storeys. It's entirely up to you onto your house in an estate. Now, if you've got, I don't know, you know, a standard family, uh, 2.4 children, dog, cat, hamster, all of this kind of stuff. You can put two stories. Everybody tends to do a lot of working from home now. So you can add 
uh, an additional story so you can have one floor your kids are all on one floor you're um, uh, both working from home so you've got home office on another story and then the upper story is a master bedroom and ensuite so you could do that it's pretty expensive but if you're in an area that you don't want to move from your kids are in good schools all of that kind of stuff people might want to do this however there have been some high court cases about this, about the design and external appearance, because that is included in there. Then we've got part 20, which is where you can add additional stories onto not just detached buildings, but also terraced buildings. Now, you've got to be careful with this because where you've got to, it, it's, you know, it, 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 it's a bit of a fairy tale, this. Where you've got terrace buildings, you can't add two stories. You can probably only add one because there's a limit to 3.5 metres. But it also includes not just dwelling houses. It includes commercial or mixed use properties and those in use as dwellings. So there's absolutely you know, shed loads of things that you need to know about this. Obviously, if you've got a bungalow, you can't add two stories on a bungalow. You can only add one story onto a bungalow. So that's the, you know, you, you've got to be careful with this. You've got to look at all the fine detail. There is also introduced in August 2020, demolition and rebuild. Again, Nobody ever, nobody thought that this was ever going to come in, but um, it's been talked about for five or six years, well, probably longer than that now. This is Class ZA, and it allows, where it used to just be conversion of buildings, it allows you to drop the building, demolish the building, and construct a new building in its place. So it's demolition of a, a detached block of flats, or demolition of offices there are all sorts of dates on which they must have existed and all of this so you, you've got to again look at the fine print you can replace it with either a purpose-built detached block of flats or a single dwelling house which is a bit weird it makes me think of roman abramovich building you know knocking down a block of flats and then putting a single house okay fine so that's oops that's something that you can do. Demolish and rebuild. It's something new. Uh, you don't, because uh, to be perfectly honest, a lot of these conversions of existing office buildings have, there was a, um, a report by RICS, Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, in 2018 that said they had uh, created a living environment that was not very good. Uh, because some of these buildings were a bit daggy um, and they really ought to have been demolished and rebuilt. So that's the reason for this. So, oh, my God, this is where the title of the talk comes from. Oh, my God, more planning reform. So, OMG. Now, I'm not a fluencer. Right. So where does the O come from? OMG, Class O of the General Permitted Development Order is what you used to use to convert a block of offices to a block of residential. That has now gone. You cannot use this. It, it doesn't exist. Any, uh, so it doesn't exist anymore. So you need to be careful of that. If there will be some, still some permissions out there that have been obtained under class O, they are now on their last legs. So if anybody comes to you and says, oh, it's had planning permission, this is going to have to be implemented, done and completed. And I don't think you're going to have enough time. There may be some of these things might have about six months left to run. So be very careful, because if you put an application back in, you can't use class O. The uh, replacement class that you can now use is far more restrictive and you probably will not get the number of flats that have previously been approved. So that is going to affect your bottom line, isn't it? Say yes. Okay. Um, right. Next. So what's replaced class O, class MA? See where I'm going with this? O, M, G. Keep up. Come on. So you can convert class E. Do you see now why I told you about the use classes order right at the beginning of this? So you can use class E, commercial business and service, and you can convert that 
under the prior approval procedure to class C3 dwelling houses, flat. The, the planning legislation always talks about dwelling houses. It just means somewhere that somewhere live, one lives it's flat. Now, the class, there are so many restrictions on these things. You've got to read them. They, 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 this thing, stuff goes on for pages. So you, the, the building that you're going to be converting must have fallen within the class E use for two years continuously. And it must have been vacant for three months before you can submit an application. You're limited to a maximum floor space of 1,500 square metres. When this first came out and the consultation came out, I got lots of people coming to me and saying, I've got to convert Debenhams because Debenhams was closing at that stage. And you know, long, narrow buildings and they're big buildings. So they've limited it now to 1,500 square metres, which actually is quite a fair space. Um, you can't do this on listed buildings of and uh, or within the curtilage and all sorts of other special protection areas. So you've got to be careful with this. You've got all sorts of things that can be considered by the council, which may just take it all out the ballpark and you may not be able to do this on the building that you're looking at. Transport, contamination, flood risk, noise. Um, you've got the impact of the change of the ground floor. If it's in a conservation area, you can still do this in a conservation area, but not if it's a listed building. Provision of adequate natural light. And then you've got also, I'm not going to go through all of the issues where you have to be careful. You have to look at what it says in the GPDO. Now, there's also another thing that's been added that I will mention. It's the fire safety impacts on intended occupants. This obviously is born of the Grenfell um, tragedy. Um, it only applies where you've got, um, I think it's over eight uh, stories, um, but the fire that fire safety impacts is a, a, a definitely a new thing that's come in. Not entirely sure that it should be in the planning legislation. I think it should be in the building regs, but it's been put in there. I think because of of, of the what happened at Grenfell. So class M. Now we're getting into O M G. And on the slides, I've got pictures of M's from Bond. Now, this, do you remember I told you there was a, an exception for hot food takeaways? Uh, certain uses, laundrette, betting office, payday loan shop, hot food takeaways can be converted to class C3 dwelling houses. Now, I don't know about you, but some of the hot food takeaways in my neck of the woods, uh, and I'm thinking, well, um, in... A, a good distance away from me but I, I went and I was walking down the street and there's a hot food takeaway I think it was a Chinese and on the one hat on the one side of it is a dog grooming parlor and on the other side is a sex shop now if you want to convert that and you think you're going to get tenants for that then that's absolutely fine but this is something that you can do under the prior approval system it is limited to 150 square meters that is not a lot. So you can't put any extensions on. You can do a bit of demolition. Can't be in a listed building. And it can't. you can't do this in a conservation area because you're obviously going to have to change the shop front. Matters that can be considered transport, contamination, flood, uh, loss of services, design and external appearance and adequate levels of natural light. We're getting used to all of this list of things now. So and. Part of my OMG is Class G. Class G, now this, this annoys the living daylights out of me, but you used to be able to convert the upper floors above a shop into up to two flats. Completely permitted development. You did not need planning permission at all. You could just go ahead and do it. But of course, now because they've brought in size requirements, uh, adequate levels of natural light and all of these things, They've had to make this, they've had to bring it into the prior approval system. So it was fully PD. If you want to put a couple of flats above a shop, you cannot now do it under permitted development rights. It has to be a prior approval application. And the problem is a lot of these things are not now going to work because the um, when it was permitted development, the flats were usually quite small. Uh, in most properties and they were probably studios and they probably now won't fit with the size criteria. You can't use part of the ground floor as part of the flat. So you can't put a kitchen or a bathroom on the ground floor behind the shop. Uh, and it's to be used as not more than six. It's to be used as a proper dwelling house 
uh, or not more than six residents living together as a single household. So a lot of people want to do um, HMOs with this, with locks on doors and things like that. It wouldn't comply under the strict rules, but to be perfectly honest, most councils won't come and check. Matters to be considered, contamination, no highways issues in this, although one council did ask me for highway uh, information and I said, no, you can't ask me for that. But you have to provide the arrangement for domestic waste. So, you know, they're adding all sorts of things in here that weren't previously in there. Now, this is a big one because size really does matter. 39 square metres is the new minimum space standard as from the 6th of April 2021. And again, we're nearly two years down the line now uh, for a single person, one bed flat with a bathroom. If you go to a shower room, it's 37 square metres. But if any of your flats that you are putting forward in a prior approval application does not comply with these sizes, you will they will not accept the application it will not meet the criteria or they'll accept it they'll take weeks to sit on it and then they'll refuse it because it doesn't meet the size standards and that's you can find the size standards in the nationally described space standards and i think they're from 2016 they initially originated from uh, the london plan uh, it was a size standards in the london plan so Adequate levels of natural daylight. You you have to, some councils, it varies. Some councils will ask you to prove this. If you, and it, it's only born of some idiots were creating habitable rooms with no windows. So if you have, you can prove, and you now have to provide drawings and elevations with these uh, prior approval applications. If you can prove, look, there's a big window in that bedroom, in that living room, then council are not going to come at you. But some councils go completely over the top and say, oh, well, we need a, a daylight report. Well, this starts to cost money. But as from August 2020, you have to have adequate levels of natural daylight in all habitable spaces. Right. So we're getting to the end of this now. Yay! Um, future for planning. Well, we've now got... Rishi, Rishi, Rishi in number 10. We've got Liz Truss has gone. <laughs> All of that lot have gone, you know. Uh, and we've now got Michael Go. God help us. Um, so the new planning bill is being tinkered around with. As I've said, there are... Uh, all of the... Um, lots of councils at the moment are pulling out of the uh, housing numbers and they're um, pulling back on their local plans. This is because of um, a consultation document that's come out on the national planning policy framework. Um, this is gonna have serious implications and it's, it's all over social media, everybody's talking about it. The new planning bill, as I've said before, um, the leveling up and regeneration bill is making its way through the commons at the moment. Um, it is rumoured that there is going to be an issue with service accommodation and that there is going to be a register that is going to have to and, and people are going to have to apply to add their service accommodation to the register. I think this is just so that they can track because I don't think uh, any central government uh, department knows exactly what the level of um, service accommodation is in any one town, city or, or council area. So that's what's going on at the moment. So it's it's still in a bit of a state of flux. Um, uh, meanwhile, we just keep plodding on. Planning applications going through councils are taking weeks and weeks and weeks. There are some councils who are doing sterling work and will come back and will talk to you. Other councils you don't hear from for months on end. Councils are also taking months to even register planning applications. Uh, so it is slow. The whole the whole planning system is kind of I don't like to use the word crisis, but uh, because you've got lots of other important things like the NHS and, and ambulance services and, and all of this and the train system that uh, we're having problems with at the moment. But the planning system is is not responding well it's not responding quickly and if you're hoping to build houses and provide homes for people then the planning system at the moment is is creating a barrier to that rather than um helping with that so 
that's my take on the possible future for planning. So this is me, uh, planning services, and one of my lads does drawings. Um, you can use architects if you want to, you know, if you've got a pet or a favourite architect that you want to use. I'm uh, working with an architect down in Crawley at the moment for the conversion of a property to 30-odd flats. Um, I can do a Teams meeting, a Zoom meeting, Google Meets. Um, those are my contact details, linda at planetright.co.uk, linda at Katana Planning, which is the new company. And if you want to listen to, I've only done two, but I'm, I'm loading another one today. Uh, we're going to be I'm going to be talking about pubs today and conversions of pubs and what you can do with them and what you can't. Uh, so YouTube, Linda Wright Planning Pundit, if you have a look at that. that's Those are my phone numbers. Don't ask me to be a friend on Facebook it's not that I'm being rude it's just that that's for family and friends I've got some people on there who are in the construction and property industry but it's because they're mates and I, I see them on a regular basis so if you want to connect with me on social media uh, it's Linda Wright on LinkedIn and at Planet Linda on Twitter thank you very much for listening how are we doing for time oh that's not bad for time Woo! Let's, uh, we're not doing so bad. Uh, a warning in advance that we may run a little bit over because I can see we've got a lot of questions, like a few minutes over. So if anyone needs to go, that's fine. If anyone needs to go from the podcast, and you've, you've typed, you, frankly, that's on you because you've timed this poorly because you can see how long this recording is. So what are you doing? Come on, sort yourself out. Uh, well, for those who are live, obviously, that's uh, that's that. Thank you very much, Linda. Really appreciate the uh, talk. Got, say, got quite a lot of questions. I'm going to start. I liked your thing. I liked all kinds of things about that. Um, I like your thing about boiling the egg and taking things down to simple levels. What I'm going to do is a bit of that, and then we've got some more detailed stuff in the in the chats. Probably take it back up to a, a higher level. So hopefully, it'll be a bit of something for everyone. Um, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, we mentioned a lot of things. One of the things you said was um, uh, my favorite quote was uh, I've got it written down here somewhere. Uh, yeah, you said you can't add two stories onto a bungalow. I thought that was solid advice. Um, <laughs> not least because if you do that, you haven't got a bungalow, have you? <laughs> not at the end yeah. anyway. So I like that a lot. And then also you said they've grown like Topsy uh, as, as uh, at one point. And so I Googled that. Um, and for, the, for a bit of information that no one expected to get this morning, Topsy was a female character in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yes. Um, I'm, so, I'm very old. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, so just for anyone you know for foreign listeners or whatever uh uncle tom's cabin i don't know if that's worth checking out but that's where the uh, uh the topsy reference comes from um right on to more planning uh, stuff um and back to the boiling an egg how do i find out what use class uh yeah use class i think that's the right word isn't it um a building has is there a quick way like an online way or do i have to bother council councils about it no, you can't. Well, I mean, good luck with trying to phone somebody in the council. Yeah, uh, if that works for you, and if you've got that much time, knock yourself out. Yeah. Um, the, 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 yeah. Some some councils will actually talk to you about this stuff and will will try and help you. But whatever the last known use of that property has been, that and if it's been, you know, if it's if it's just been there for six months that that doesn't count but if it's been i don't know whatever use you want to put on it um a shop so it's a class e and if it's been used as that for the last five ten years that is the last known use so it will fall into class a1 which is now into class e a shop um a, a lot of these things start to get. I mean, I I had a I've spoken about this on the on the um, YouTube when I did service accommodation, and he's got a, he did actually speak to the council, uh, and he's got a property that is a a hostel. Now it had planning permission to be a hostel in 1995, right. so you know, and it has continued to be used as a hostel. So from that point of view. It's clear. Um, a, a lot of these other things are not terribly clear. They're they're very woolly as to what the use of a property might be. But it's no use. It's no use phoning up the council generally because they will not. They'll just shrug and say, "Well, whatever the last non-use." If you can actually get to talk to somebody, um, which is is um, very difficult these days. Um, I was going to say. Something else, but I nearly swore then. But that's like, no, I won't. I'll <laughs> refrain. Um, so it's the last known use of the property. If you've got a property 
that's a house, if you've got a property that's a pub, if you've got mm. a property that, you know, that all of all of these things. So it it's common sense, really, but there is no definitive, yes, you can put this into this. Now, if a council comes back, as they did with the hostel, and said it's a sui generis use because there isn't a use for hostel, so a sui generis use because it's been so you then have to apply for planning permission for anything that you want to do to change that property interesting does that okay. answer your question yeah yeah crystal uh on to my next uh boiling and egg question really useful um uh, i was reflecting that i'm not a planning expert which is why we've got you on but um most of the letters in the alphabet seem to be used as a use planning class i was wondering with that in mind first of all are there any letters that aren't used i mean z's definitely used for that i don't think there's a planning class q but that doesn't you know we don't need a full list of which letters well, uh, there, there is actually there might. Is, is there a planning q uh, yeah, yeah, what i was yeah. thinking was if people are starting out in property which some people on the, on the, on the call listening to the podcast will be of course what one thing or maybe one class do you think people should try and understand or take a little bit of time to you know google or look into or do you think that rather depends on what exactly in property they're trying to do <clears throat> oh god <laughs> Right. Um, most people, the, the, a lot of people that I know, it may just be the people that I hang out with, I don't know. Lots of people have, have done a course oh God. and they've been told that they can do all of this property thing without any money of their own. Mm. And they're all going to get investors and they're going to get a, a terrace property and they're going to turn it into an HMO. And instead of making, I don't know, 600 700 thousand pounds a month uh on renting out a single dwelling house as a single dwelling house they're going to rent it out room by room and they're going to make two and three times that much so everybody sees the dollar signs and wants to go ahead and, and do an hmo running an hmo is is not for the faint-hearted so i understand i don't have any property it the idea of me having scares the living daylights out of me because I, I think planning is the easy bit. It's it's the, the construction, the doing and the running of these things that scares the living daylights out of me and the financing and, and all of the things that I've heard that have gone wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think mainly people, but also people are looking at converting places and converting offices to flats. Um, and so that is becoming bigger now. Um, and and people are doing it on a smaller scale as well. They're putting the two flats above shops and that kind of thing. So it, it depends where you are on the scale of being a property developer, really. I mean, lots of people are coming to me and looking at rear gardens to put an additional dwelling house in a rear garden. So it's it's a new build. So yeah. that's that's interesting as well. And, and sometimes these things work and sometimes they just don't because the space isn't big enough. So there's a whole range of things that come to me yeah no fair enough i'd say that you know summary of that would be it does rather depend on what you're doing which makes sense right if you're doing hmos you don't need to know about de demolishing blocks of apartments if you're exactly. demolishing blocks of apartments that's what you're going to yeah. need to know about okay um on to listeners questions uh answers to listeners questions we've got uh yogesh as nearly always first out the gate i hope he doesn't mind me calling it calling him out in a, in a nice way so yogesh says have you got any experience with council's introductions of immediate article four against hmos uh, merton did it last year and wondered if this can be challenged or compensation asked for yes yogesh excellent question uh it's not just merton there's loads of councils i mean uh trafford did one um probably a couple of years ago now because of the uh, training academy that so they they saw the writing on the wall that loads of terrace houses were going to be converted to hmos um not much you can do, really. I mean, I did have a guy in phone me up in tears and say, I'm halfway through an HMO conversion. What do I do? Um, apply for planning permission. Um, that's it, the, that's the second guy to call you up in tears this morning. Although, <laughs> although honestly, loads of people phone me in tears. Loads of, <laughs> and I feel really bad because I, want to, you know, I, feel, I feel like I'm a psychologist rather than the planning consultant. Right, yeah. No, it's all right. And and sometimes I can say, no, it's all right. Don't panic. <laughs> I, can, I can do something. And, and other times it's like, oh, God, you've been stitched up, mate. Yeah. You know, so yeah. and that does happen. So, um, oh, really... Arguably, yes, there should be compensation for immediate um, introduction of Article uh, 4. But in reality, 
the compensation that you're going to get and the amount of time that it's going to take you to go for it, it's it's not worth it because the compensation is is very poor. I don't know of anyone who has got who has who has charged the council with compensation for an immediate introduction of art, Article Four direction, which removes permitted development rights for HMOs. It, Article Four directions are do other things as well. So if you're looking for them. Uh, it, it, they they remove permitted development rights in conservation areas, all sorts of things, not just for HMOs. So, yeah, lots of councils have done this, lots of councils. And actually, not as many as you might think do this because it creates a headache for them. So they do have this whole issue of, of compensation. I'm not entirely sure that anybody has been massively successful. If anybody knows of anybody, then please let me know. I don't know of anybody who's been massive looks and that has been truly compensated um, for what they, the money that they have expended. So um, that if that answers your question, Yogesh. It does. It smashes it. Um, uh, I get to decide that on Yogesh's behalf. Uh, it, it, another question. If you use, this is a common one, this this is one I've come across myself, so I'll be interested in the answer to this. If you used a house as um, service accommodation on a room-by-room, short-let basis, does this need HMO planning uh, or not? Oh, hang on a minute. Say that again. <laughs> Say it again slowly. Words have gone more than once. No, no. If you um, uh, if you use a house as serviced accommodation on a room by room short let basis, does this need HMO planning uh, granted or not? Well, uh, hang on a minute. You've got two things there. Is it serviced accommodation or is it an HMO? So um, if it's an HMO where you've got, if it's serviced accommodation where it's short term lets, yeah, that's serviced accommodation. Yeah. If you've got an HMO where people sign, um, is it, are the ASTs? I don't know. I don't do these things for to live there for six months, twelve months. They sign it for two years, whatever length, and it's their permanent residence, and that's where they live. It's not that they actually live in another part of the country and they just stay there Monday to Friday because that's where they're working for, I don't know, a six-month, 12-month contract, and then they go back home to their full-time home. So service accommodation and HMOs are, are two entirely different beasts. Looking at the so, question, is, um, I think it's... it's about go on, your Yeah, oh. it's about the FA. Does it, does it, does it, if it's an essay, shortlist, people stay for there for a night or a week, does that need uh, HMO planning, even though they're using it room by room? Well... Depends on the interpretation of the council. Oh. And it depends on whether you get any objections. A lot of people are doing exactly this mm. and getting away with it because the council simply do not have the resources to check up on these things. But if you get any objections from neighbours, the council will be duty bound to investigate it. If they investigate it and they find that their interpretation is it's not as class C3, and it doesn't fall within a small HMO, i.e. up to six. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't fall within class C1. It's not a hotel. So they might decide that it's sui generis. If it's sui generis, you're going to have to apply for retrospective planning permission. Yeah. There you go. Smash that okay. again. Um, thank you, Yogesh. Yogesh finishes by saying that he really likes your YouTube videos, uh, Linda's YouTube videos. Uh, another one. Uh, I'm doing another one this afternoon. <laughs> there you go another treat um and then we'll finish off yoga she's asked a lot of other questions but uh we, you know that we probably haven't got time we haven't got time for it's colin's question which uh colin says uh highland where a council grants prior approval for an extra couple of stories do they routinely add conditions to remove further permitted development rights eg c3 to c4 if so how easy is it to get such a condition removed oh good one colin now, um, they might do, but to be perfectly honest, in my opinion, hi, Colin, uh, in my opinion, they don't need to because the prior approval legislation, if you look at it, says specifically class C3. So it is a given that if you add two stories onto a building, those dwelling units, flats, dwelling houses, whatever you want to call them, the flats, let's argue and say they're flats, 
will be class C3 in perpetuity. So arguably, the council does not need to add a condition because you don't you don't add a condition just as a belt and braces. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's what you know that it doesn't it fails the test. There are six tests for conditions and they have to be reasonable. And that would not be necessary um, to add because the prior approval says class C3. Lots of people are using them for service accommodation. I know that. La 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 la. I don't want I don't want to hear about this because it is it, it's wrong. But because they're getting away with it, then lots of other people are saying, oh, yeah, this is what I did because the councils aren't investigating because they haven't got the resources. Now, to answer the question, do I think councils will put conditions on? Yes, I think they might, some councils, because <laughs> a lot of planners in councils don't actually read the legislation. And they just sort of think, right, okay, gotta, but better put that condition on, better put that condition. So they will put conditions on that arguably could be challenged because they are unnecessary. But you wouldn't challenge it because the legislation already says it should only be C3 and you shouldn't be going to C4. So if you add stories on top of buildings, it is to create flats. It is not for you then to create a, a dwelling unit that is going to be an HMO. Um, so I don't, that's a bit convoluted. So councils probably will put these conditions on if they think it's going to be a problem. There shouldn't be any need for them to put the condition on because it, you can only, the legislative approval procedure, procedure says class C3 only. There we go. Does that make uh, sense? Uh, Con's giving the thumbs up, so we're going to go with yes. It makes sense to Thank me, which is uh, the important thing. And Colin's smarter than I am, so I'm sure he cottoned on to it. So uh, that's excellent stuff. Um, Thank you very much, Linda. Really appreciate that. If, if uh, people take um, uh, anything from today, it's to make sure you uh, remember not to put two-story extensions onto bungalows. Um, otherwise, <laughs> I guess, gets into all sorts of buffer. Uh, Linda's kindly given us permission to put her, what I think are excellent slides, um, with the podcast, uh, with the rider, whichever I get to write down the rider, at least it'll be here, which is that, uh, like like all most planning stuff, it moves quickly. And so in, if you're looking at this in six months, things may well have changed a lot, but um, I'll, I'll try and put that rider, as well as Linda's contact details, in case, of course, you missed those with the podcast episode. For those listening to the podcast, thank you very much for doing so. We passed, um, I'll be putting it around uh, social media and this and that, but we recently passed, I think, 6,000 downloads for the podcast, which I've, I've only gone a couple of years. It's great guns and um, seems to be going from strength to strength. So really appreciate you continuing to tune in as well as I, you know, obviously appreciate everyone who's here at the live meeting, getting it first and fastest and live and questions and ah, excitement. Plus they're all done by half 10 on Saturday morning. Um, my guess is it's, uh, you know, could be later than that where you are. So, you know, screw you. Uh, <laughs> I would like to finish by abusing all listeners. Um, Thanks, everyone, uh, joining for those uh, attending, uh, and a special thanks, of course, to our speaker uh, uh, today, um, Linda Wright. Mm -hmm.